welcome back. We got another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where to Party At. I'm your host, Saba Long. As you can tell, we are back in the studio. Apologies for last week. I know the sound was a little rough, but uh, thank you for rocking with us nonetheless. That was my fault. That was not Keith's fault. Just want to set the record straight. <laughs> All right, y'all. So much has happened in the past seven days. This could easily be a three-hour podcast episode, but we're not going to do that to you. Uh, we'll start, as always, with what's going on in Atlanta, and why not start with the jail? So back in 2020, so this is right when the pandemic was about to hit, uh, then-Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, she put forth a plan to close the city jail and turn it into a community center. So the year before, she created a task force to try to think through what that could look like, what that might be. Uh, Bloomberg Associates, which is that Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, uh, helped. Uh, they helped the task force kind of think through what could you do with the building, what kind of programming might that look like. There was a ton of community engagement around the effort. Uh, and then June of 2020, one of the co-chairs of the task force said, hey, we are hoping to close the jail by July of 2020. Fast forward to June of 2022, the jail is still open. Obviously, at that point, city council was not totally on board. You might recall in our Who Runs Atlanta series last year on the mayoral and city council elections, this came up a couple times in my interviews. So the city jail right now is holding less than about 60 people, so there's not a lot of folks in there. But the Fulton County Jail is way over capacity. In fact, Sheriff Pat Labatt was trying to work with Keisha Lance Bottoms when she was mayor to figure out how to keep the jail open and take some of those Fulton County detainees. But they had some, shall we say, public disagreements about it. So again, here we are in 2022, and the city council is still trying to figure out what they are going to do. So last week, they introduced a resolution. Now, remember... Resolutions are non-binding. It's more like, here's what I would like to see, not here's what we are going to do. So they introduced a resolution to repurpose the building and name it after Congressman John Lewis, former, the late Congressman John Lewis. So the last election brought a lot of new progressive-minded folks to the city council. So we'll see if they push Mayor Andre Dickens to take action on this and turn the Atlanta City Detention Center into the Congressman John Lewis Community Center, TBD. All right, next up, we've got for you uh, something that Governor Brian Kemp did last week. That's kind of a big deal. So the head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, uh, Governor Brian Kemp tapped him to be a Cobb County Superior Court judge. Now, there were two vacancies on the Cobb Superior Court and Kemp made appointments for both of those seats. Again, if you're wondering, what does a governor do? This is one of those things when there is a vacancy in a court, a state court, or a uh, county court, the governor appoints those individuals. So both of the new folks will have to run for election when their terms are up. By the way, Superior Court judges serve for four-year terms, and they handle everything from Divorces, child support, child custody, felony cases, and they also appoint juvenile court judges. Of course, judges are nonpartisan, but 
as we will talk about later, their opinions are certainly informed by how they interpret the law. All right, so Kemp is going to have to name a new person to be head of the GBI. And if you're wondering what the GBI is, you can kind of think of them, this is not a perfect comparison, but just to give you a gist, you can kind of think of them as the FBI before the state and for counties. So they do everything from investigating officer-involved shootings to managing the state's sex offender registry. So soon we will have a new head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. We'll see who the governor ends up appointing. Good. All right, next up, uh, we talk a lot about schools and something new that just occurred. Georgia schools are going to be getting some money from the state to shore up school safety. Uh, this is somewhat in response to what happened in Uvalde, but this was actually something that was already in the process of happening. So every five years, Georgia and the state uh, the school districts across the state work together on safety plans. So they've got to update it every five years. It was now time to update it. Here's what they're going to get, uh, the school districts across the state. 2.6 million to enhance training for school police. Just under $200,000 to buy tactical kits for school police officers. One million for regional and other school safety training. So that's things like uh, making sure that those schools have enough instructors, make, instructors, making sure they've got enough guides, kind of standard operating procedures, things of that sort. Four and a half million dollars to train for school safety and on use of force and to help pay for uh, mental health resources, and then also for de-escalation training. And then the last thing is that they're gonna seek about $3 million in federal funds to add to what they're already doing. So DeKalb County has already said that they are increasing the number of school resource officers in their next uh, fiscal year. I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta Public Schools is also going to do the same. I think Uvalde, um, really scared the crap out of folks. Uh, and they're trying to think through, okay, how do we make sure that does not happen here? All right. Last week, uh, we talked about the primary runoff, but now we officially know who's on the ballot because the primary runoff election was June 21st. So the big question on the Democratic statewide seats was just how long are Stacey Abrams' coattails? Well, all three of her candidates won their elections hands down. And by hands down, I mean in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. So on the Republican side, uh, Vernon Jones went down in flames. But I do suspect you will see him in November on the campaign trail supporting other folks. And then the other black Republican who ran for Congress, uh, Jeremy Hunt, younger guy, I think he's maybe 30, uh, he lost in the primary runoff as well. So your boy Herschel Walker is going to have to hold it down for the black Republicans <laughs> in the state of Georgia. All right. Augusta also elected a new mayor. Uh, the winner, Gar uh, Garnett Johnson, is a businessman. So he had not held public office before. Current Mayor Hardy Davis is term limited. Uh, but uh, Garnett is an African-American businessman who will be the new mayor of Augusta. Um, next up, 
kind of moving along here. We talk often on the show about unions, and we've got some big updates. So workers at the Ansley Mall Starbucks voted last week to unionize. I think that vote was like 11-3. This is the second store in Atlanta and the third in the state of Georgia to unionize. So the big question is, is Starbucks, the corporation, going to acknowledge these unions and actually do collective bargaining with them? Now, I was at a Starbucks store in the Buckhead area last week, and I asked them, hey, you know, just quietly, are you guys considering unionizing? Uh, and the barista kind of looked at me. She's like, yeah, we've been talking about it. But she kind of did one of those things where she kind of looked around to see who was listening. Uh, so I think there are a lot of Starbucks stores where people are probably doing it, but they don't want to show their cards too soon, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And by the way, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Atlanta chapter, they are the ones who have been working with the Starbucks stores in Georgia to unionize. And I personally find that kind of fascinating because it's one of those things where you would think the Democratic Party of Georgia would be working with those stores and those employees. But in fact, it's the Democratic Socialist of America, the Atlanta chapter. Just an interesting tidbit. Uh, Target. Target workers at a store in Virginia are trying to unionize. They uh, sent a petition to Target to raise, to pay, uh, do pay raises, pay increases, but the company is refusing to engage with them. So now they are going to the National Labor Relations Board. So we'll see what happens there. An Apple store in Maryland was the first to unionize last week. Now, had uh, this not happened, they're actually the first store that would have unionized was the Cumberland Mall location in Cobb County. But they decided to postpone the vote because they felt that uh, Apple was kind of muddying the waters. And if they held a vote, it would not pass because of some interference from Apple. So the Apple store in Maryland ended up being the first to unionize. And we'll see what ends up coming from that one. And then the last one that I think uh, is worth noting is happening right here at home, Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines flight attendants are undergoing a union drive. Take a listen to a portion of this video about their efforts. Delta is going to have a rough summer because they're severely short-staffed. The only way that the airline runs, the only way that it takes off, is by people working harder, doing more shifts, flying more hours than they ever have before. There are no real guidelines about who gets reassigned when who gets rerouted when. There's no transparency. Oftentimes, flight attendants are stranded in the airport. They can't get a hotel room. They can't get a hold of anyone in scheduling because there's no one right there in their workplace to tell them where to go or what to do or how to be safe even. When you're planning to get home and feed the cat or pick up your kid from preschool and you're not getting home and you don't know when you are and you don't know how to tell people how to pick up the pieces of your life in the meantime, it's uh, really hard. Delta flight attendants are the last group of flight attendants flying for a major airline today that don't have a union. I feel we see this American culture shift towards unions right now. And I know that we're going to win. Pilots at Delta are already unionized. Um, and by the way, the pilots union just said that by the end of this year, they will have worked more overtime hours than in 2018 and 2019 combined. 
which is really Dang. wild, right? I mean, 2020 and 2021, we know were impacted because of the pandemic. I'm sure y'all have seen across the board, folks, flights being canceled, flights being delayed. And I think this is part of what's going on there. All right, on to the big topic du jour, the Supreme Court rulings. Now, there were a ton of rulings that happened over the past few days. I'm only going to focus on a few of them. And by the way, if you're wondering, uh, Kintanji Brown Jackson is not on the court yet. So she did not vote in these rulings. We will see her once this current session ends. And a reminder, she's going to replace Justice Stephen Breyer. All right, so the first one, we're taping on Monday, and this actually uh, is a ruling that happened today, Monday. Uh, first up, a high school coach was fired for praying on the 50-yard line after games. Now, the court ruled that the public school district violated his First Amendment, right? And from everything I'm, I've read, the players weren't mandated to pray with the coach. So to be honest, I personally don't see why he was fired. Uh, I'm not surprised that the Supreme Court ruled the way they did. Um, and a couple of other things, again, we're recording on Monday. There's going to be some rulings that happen either Tuesday or Wednesday that are going to be big. Uh, one of those is about environmental rights and the role of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, the expectation is that the Supreme Court, and I'm going to refer to the Supreme Court sometimes as SCOTUS, that just stands for Supreme Court of the United States, uh, it's expected that SCOTUS is going to kick this to the states. One big one that happened that I think got overshadowed by Roe v. Wade, but uh, I think everyone should be paying attention to, is something uh, the Supreme Court ruled on about Miranda rights. So the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 on a case about Miranda rights. What is Miranda rights? Take a listen. Thing they always say, we I always misplaced that card that it's written on. You got a right to keep your mouth shut. You say anything, we're going to hang it on you later. <laughs> so Miranda rights is basically the thing that you hear a police officer say, you have a right to remain silent, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so if a police officer fails to read a suspect, their Miranda warnings, the Miranda rights, and the government uses what the suspect says before they are ever read their rights, that can be used against them in court. Now, before the Supreme Court ruled, you as a suspect had a right to sue the officer for violating your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. But going forward, an officer is not obligated to read you the Miranda rights. So, yes, they are supposed to read it, but if you say something to the officer that ends up being used against you in the court of law, you cannot sue the officer for violating your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Uh, in fact, if you don't want that included in the case, in the trial, you would have to, or your, or your uh, lawyer, convince a judge to keep that evidence out of the trial. So Justice Alito wrote the decision, uh, and he hinted that the court could do away with Miranda rights altogether. I'm not a lawyer, but I would say the best piece of advice I could give you is do not talk to an officer unless your lawyer is present. 
All right, the next big one, uh, New York guns. <laughs> We're not gonna mention how like Biden and the uh, like uh, Mary Garland they kind of like influenced the decision. Um, I didn't read that. Yeah, they made it. They sided on the side with the cops. Like, oh yes, yes. Like, so so this is I can't remember the name of the case, but it's like something with a V. Um, and what happened was first Taco or something like that. Yeah, right. Uh, the the suspect in this case, I believe he um was accused of he worked in a hospital, and he was accused of touching someone's genitals, a patient's genitals. In the investigation, a cop did not read his rights, and a cop, I believe, kind of lied to get a response from him. And they used that response to lock this person up. And uh, Merrick Garland, but, but the, the person Supreme, was guilty though. Like the person was guilty. Yeah, the person was guilty. Correct. Of what he did. Right. Okay. But and you can yes, that that's not the issue. The issue is that he said something. Bef- he had the right he to not self-incriminate, and he did. And he should have been Mirandized, and he was not Mirandized. And they used what he said against him. And I, I, you're right. I forgot about this. The Supreme, the uh, Department of Justice under Merrick Garland, sided and asked. They basically were on the side of the police officer on so, this. So I wanted to ask you. I saw that, and I wanted to ask you. So, but does like does that mean though? Like when we see something like that, does that mean that? I mean, we can assume this is how Biden's administration feels about this issue like they were okay with doing away because they don't have to say anything right they had the right to remain silent right so, so when they say something is it like what is so if I'm, the department I'm trying to of, out why why would you say something that's basically what i'm trying to figure out why would yeah you say i don't i don't know um that's a great question for merrick garland and i don't know if, if he was actually asked why are you citing on the side of the officer on this I'll say a lot of civil civil liberty, pro-civil liberty organizations were upset with this uh, decision. Um, and just don't talk to the cops if your lawyer's not present. Like, just keep your mouth shut. I mean, I would literally just say the same thing over and over again. I am not speaking until my lawyer is present. I don't have an answer until my lawyer is present. Yeah, I just, I just hate for the people who don't know, you know. Right. Well, that's why. Hey, we're saying it. And isn't there just law? Is isn't there just law podcast? That's law. That's law. Oh, that's law. My bad. <laughs> that's law. Okay. <laughs> so, part of the Just Eldridge Media uh, listing of podcasts is that's law, and hopefully he'll talk about uh, that issue. Yeah, we have to bring that up. Shout yeah. out, Durante. There you go. All right, another big one. This doesn't impact Georgia, uh, but, you know, half of Georgia's people who moved here from New York. So you might be interested in this. Uh, so in New York, it is very, very difficult to get a concealed carry license. I mean, it's practically impossible. Uh, if you were affiliated with law enforcement, you can basically get one. Uh, now, you can have a gun in your home in New York. You can use a gun to hunt. You can use a gun for your job. But you can't just walk around town with a concealed weapon in New York. And this law has been on the books for like practically 100 years. So a few years ago, these two guys in New York were denied a concealed carry permit and they decided to sue. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. 
uh, and a group of New York City public public defenders. Last year, they wrote, and I was really maybe not surprised by this, but I was like, oh, just seeing it in writing. About 96% of folks arrested by the NYPD uh, for simple firearm possession are Black or Latino. Another interesting thing uh, that New York law states is that a gun is considered loaded as long as you are also in possession of the ammo. So you could have an unloaded gun in your car and the magazine next to it. But New York considers that gun loaded. Maybe because you can load it fast. I don't know, but I was surprised by that one. So the Supreme Court said that the New York law on uh, concealed carry violates your Second and Fourteenth Amendment rights. Justice Clarence Thomas, he filed the opinion for the court, and Justice Breyer filed the dissent. Now, the Second Court, this, the Second Circuit Court, had previously upheld New York's law, so. It had gone all the way up to the Second Court, Second Circuit Court, and then the Supreme Court overruled the Second Circuit. So in his opinion, uh, Justice Thomas writes that the special need standard is demanding. And the special need is why you need to have a concealed carry. It, you re it requires a special need. So for example, if you say, I need a concealed carry permit because I live in an area where crime is high, that does not suffice. Uh, so in the dissent, Breyer talked a lot about general public safety and gun violence. And he referenced a study that shows, and I quote, states with the highest rate of gun ownership report four times as many fatal shootings of civilians by police officers compared to states with the lowest rating, the lowest rates of gun ownership. So this ruling uh, by the Supreme Court is going to apply to New York, obviously, California, D.C., Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Now, we can expect each of these states to enact laws that will still make it so that not just anybody can, guild, can get a concealed carry permit. Now, just a reminder, in Georgia, Governor Kemp completely did away with concealed carry. And now anyone can be strapped, assuming that you have a gun, uh, you, you obtain the gun legally. You can be strapped and the police can't stop you about it. So these states are going to probably do things like criminal background checks, mandatory safety training, which honestly, I, I personally think mandatory safety training should be the baseline in every single state. Uh, you Yes, you have the, the Second Amendment right to own a weapon, but you should be able to use that weapon and understand how to use that weapon, how to clean it, how to load it, how to unload it, all of that safely. And a reminder, this is why every level of elections matters. So the folks who are going to be writing the legislation in New York and these other states, that's going to happen at the city and the county level and to some extent at the state level, right? And then one other thing that... I thought was interesting reading through uh, the ruling. There was a sentence that kind of stuck out to me. Justice Thomas gave this long history of guns and colonial law. And he wrote this, and I quote, uh, They prohibit bearing arms in a way that spreads fear or terror among the people. Whatever the likelihood that guns were considered dangerous and unusual during the colonial period, 
they are today handguns, rather, whatever the likelihood that handguns were considered dangerous and unusual during the colonial period, they are today the quintessential self-defense weapon. <laughs> so my first thought when I read this was, well, guns are still dangerous, including handguns. Um, and then the other is, you know, prohibiting the bearing of arms in a way that spreads fear or terror among the people. What about assault-style weapons? Because if I see someone rolling up next to me in a with an assault-style weapon, assault weapon, I'm getting the hell away. All right. Um, last thing I want to point out about the gun bill or the gun decision. The conservative New York Post wrote an editorial saying that they were supremely disappointed in the SCOTUS ruling on this case. And so I think uh, it will be interesting to see what New York does, what some of these other states does, or decide to do, rather. Um, that is an interesting one. All right, on to Maine. So the Supreme Court ruled 6-3. They have been very busy, y'all. They ruled 6-3 to strike down a Maine law that prohibited religious private schools from receiving taxpayer dollars. So apparently there are a lot of areas in Maine where there isn't a secondary school. That's essentially what you go, what's after elementary slash primary school. So the state of Maine provides tuition assistance to parents and to private schools because of that. But previously they did not provide it for religious institutions. Now, because of the Supreme Court ruling, Maine has to provide a tu tuition assistant to any private school. But Maine, being thoughtful about who had been named as uh, Supreme Court justices, anticipated this, and they just passed a new law that forbids discrimination based on gender, gender identity and sexual orientation. And it applies to every private school that chooses to accept public funds. So the two schools who sued to overturn this law, they were Bangor Christian Schools and Temple Academy. They said, well, because of the new law that Maine passed, they're not going to request state funds because that would mean that they would have to admit LGBT students and be mindful of what they teach as it pertains to LGBT issues. Again, this is another reason, another example of why who you elect matters because they can preempt things that are happening or they can react to things that are happening and either lessen or uh, deepen the impact of those. You know, we always talk about being proactive. I feel like that's just the biggest way of being proactive, you know? So, right. Hey, you already out. know what's going to happen. Shout out to the, that's, main, that's mainly Democrats. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up, though. I like that move. That yeah. Was, that was a slick move. Yeah. Speaking of a lack of being proactive, next up is Roe v. Wade. Damn. <laughs> so, the news that shook the nation over the past few days, the Supreme Court voted 6-3 to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, before we get too far into this, I'm going to play for you what Judges Alito, Comey Barrett, Gorsuch and Thomas said at their confirmation hearings 
as it pertains to Roe v. Wade. Agenda to try to overrule Casey. Um, I have an agenda to stick to the rule of law. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Roe versus Wade decided in 1973 as a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 1992 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court, worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. Roe versus Wade is a, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973. The Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision. When a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. I believe the Constitution protects the right to privacy. And I have no reason or agenda to prejudge the issue. What would he have done if he, if he had asked? Senator, I would have walked out the door. It's not what judges do. <laughs> Don't have any agenda. I have no agenda to try to... That last one, I believe, was about a Supreme Court justice saying if, or who was being nominated, saying that if... Trump had asked him to overturn Roe, that he would have walked out the door. So, Justice Alito delivered the opinion on overturning Roe. Now, I did an episode last month uh, when the SCOTUS leak first happened, and we had a constitutional scholar on uh, who's a Georgia State professor and actually clerked for Supreme Court justice. Now, by the way, the draft leak it is pretty much the same thing as the official ruling that happened last week. Uh, here's what our constitutional scholar had to say. All right, so Roe and Casey um, are sort of different ways of thinking about the right and when the right might be implemented or where the state's interests, how you balance the state's interest in protecting potential life against the woman's interest in being able to terminate the pregnancy. Roe and Casey's were sort of just different understandings of that and setting forth different ways of thinking about that right. Um, but that, right, if this opinion is law, that all sort of goes away. So now Chief Justice Roberts wrote a concurring opinion to what Alito and the other affirmative judges signed on to. And he said that he believes the court should have taken a more measured approach. And here's what he wrote, and I quote, our abortion precedents describe the right at issue as a woman's right to choose to terminate her pregnancy. That right should therefore extend far enough to ensure a reasonable opportunity to choose, but need not extend any further, certainly not all the way to viability. He also wrote, and I quote, The court's opinion is thoughtful and thorough. But those virtues cannot compensate for the fact that its dramatic and consequential ruling is unnecessary to decide the case before us. And he also said that Mississippi, and that's what this case was about, Mississippi itself previously argued as much to this court in their litigation. So, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and this is something that unfortunately the media has not talked a lot about, he was not in agreement with overturning Roe. He thought it was a bridge too far. So the gist here 
is that the Supreme Court as a whole, uh, the, the ones who voted uh, against uh, Roe, is saying that abortion access is not codified in the Constitution, and therefore this is up to the states. So speaking of, let's start with Georgia and then we can branch out. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, in 2019, black women accounted for a staggering 65% of abortions in Georgia. The state's high abortion rate for black women is almost double the rate nationally of black women. That is pretty remarkable. So how does this ruling impact them and other women in the state of Georgia? So, of course, no surprise, Attorney General Chris Carr, uh, who's a Republican, immediately filed a motion in the 11th Circuit to allow for Georgia's, I'm going to put this in quotes because technically this is using Republican language, the heartbeat bill to go into effect. Now, this is the bill that was proposed uh, in the 2020 session, and it makes abortions illegal in Georgia at the six-week mark. Now, there are some exceptions for rape, only if a police report is filed. And uh, there are exceptions to protect the life of the mother. So until the 11th Circuit rules, the current law is in effect. But the anticipation is because of what the Supreme Court did, the 11th Circuit will rule uh, and say that the new Georgia legislation that passed is legal. So what do you do? What happens next? All right, needless to say, this is going to be a hot topic in the midterm elections, not just in Georgia, but across the country. And again, another reason why local elections matter, in the aftermath of the road decision, Metro Atlanta district attorneys have already said they are not prosecuting women who seek abortions. And then the Atlanta Police Department, under Mayor Andre Dickens, has been instructed to make any calls dealing with abortion basically a low to no priority. Again, this is anticipating that the 11th Circuit is going to rule and that Georgia will enact a six-week ban. Now, there's a ton of debate about if this is going to end up being a silver lining for Democrats in Georgia and other battleground states. Will this be the thing that pisses folks off enough to vote Democrat? Honestly, this show is where the party at. I think it's possible for Democrats to completely squander the opportunity here to appeal to folks. Yep. And this is across generations even. Uh, I remember seeing a couple of young, ki young women on CNN. They looked like they were maybe 20 years old. And the one of the women said, "My something to the gist of my rights are not for your fundraising. So right after this decision, Democrats across the board sent emails saying, hey, Russia's $5 to, you know, push back against the abortion ban. That is not going to cut it. Telling folks to vote Democrats is not going to cut it. Democrats in Washington and in the state, or especially these battleground states, need concrete plans. Here is what we are going to do to protect your ability to get an abortion if and when you need one. And right now, and they need to do this right now because they have the majority in the House. They have the Senate. Here's what the president can say he's going to do through an executive order. 
like write the vision and make it plain. Like they need to be very clear about what they're going to do. Now, while Democrats are twiddling their thumbs, corporate America is starting to weigh in. Dick Sporting Goods, uh, which I was surprised by that one, Comcast, Disney, Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, Netflix, and Warner Brothers, which is owned by CNN, uh, and Discovery. They all announced that they would financially support employees who have to travel out of state for an abortion. Now, on last week, Friday of last week, the AJC wrote 19 of Georgia's Fortune 500 companies either did not respond to requests for comment or declined to comment about if they were going to do the same. And then, no surprise, the Georgia Chamber and the Metro Atlanta Chamber also did not comment. When they say support financially, they mean like pay for plane tickets or like rides. Yes. Would they pay for the abortion as well? I don't know if it's I don't know if they said they would pay for the abortion, but they would pay for transportation. So housing, like lodging, food, uh, transportation, all that. Which is significant. Uh, and I think um I know for Dick Sporting Goods, I think they said up to four thousand. So that should more than cover the cost. So it's like I don't know. Like, do they have, like, are they on cut down on everything else too? You know, what like, do you mean? Like Comcast, right? They have money for this. So when my Comcast bill comes down as well, like, because they're saying they don't have the money to, the reason why stuff is costing so much, because businesses are saying, hey, we have to make, you know, make money. Yeah, my Republican friends would say this is just virtue signaling from these companies. Uh, but, you know, this is one of those things about corporate activism and is, is this within the realm of what a company should be doing? But and I think the question is, when your government has failed you, what do you do? Is there yeah. a role for companies in that <laughs> conversation? I don't know. No. You know, there's only one one conversation for companies for me. That's not part of this, Keith. <laughs> it's all related. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I do think it's interesting, and and maybe these companies are having private conversations. Like I was talking to a friend right before I taped, uh, who works for a major Georgia company, and she has started to have the conversation with her executive team, uh, with the C-suite and her company, about what they're going to do. And so maybe the Deltas and the Home Depots and the Coca Colas might do something and they're just having internal deliberation about what that might look like. Um, I think public tr publicly traded companies honestly only care about one thing and that's shareholder value. And so because of that, they're probably looking at what happened with Disney in, uh, in Florida, right where Ron DeSantis came after them. Although Disney pushed back and pushed back very hard. Uh, but they're like, hey, I don't want you coming after my tax cuts. I don't want you come after my incentives. So I'm just going to shut the hell up. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath for Georgia companies to engage on this issue. And then my real, real personal thought on this is that Georgia companies engage on gay rights, but they don't engage on women. And that's a problem. So either all or nothing. Oh, did, did it some of the... Did, 
Well, it was probably it was just the entertainment industry in Georgia, right? Yeah. The first time on the pushback on gay rights. It, yes. Oh, those for gay rights. It was for gay for rights. The initial no. um, six week ban. They kind of said a little something, but it was nowhere near what, what they, they did. did. The yeah. Yeah. Um, one former music industry, just kind of speaking of entertainment, one former music industry exec proposed that people go on strike uh, and protest in the streets day in and day out. Um, interesting. I don't know if they'll do it. Um, back to that number about black women who have abortions. I think black people should be alarmed. Um, honestly, by the rate at which black women in Georgia seek abortions. Um, and they, there needs to be some way to address these issues through public policy and collective support. So, you know, we're going to talk about what companies should do. Why don't you government incentivize companies that offer maternal and paternal paid leave? Um, why don't you as a company, provide on-site or subsidized quality childcare services for all workers. So not just the workers who are in the office, but your quote-unquote essential workers who are doing front-of-house, front-of-office type stuff. Uh, put together a program that supports Black mothers from the time they find out that they are pregnant to those first few years after they give birth. Before we even get to that point, can we make sure that contraceptives are available and that sex education is taught? This is one of those things that if you want to talk about Roe as a religious conversation and the right to abortion as a religious conversation or not, have a conversation about sex education. We know that abstinence-only teaching does not work. Period. So, um... Again, back to our abortion episode that we did last month, um, we sort of had this conversation with Brittany, who was on from the Whole Life Project. So again, if you believe that life begins at inception, support life from inception to the time that that person dies of old age. If you believe that a woman has a right to abortion, fight for her right to choose to raise a baby and make sure that they have every tool they need to succeed in life. The reality is we value human, human life in this country up to a certain point. Case in point, the pandemic. Uh, we don't value human life enough to have a living wage. We don't value human life enough to ensure that every single child in this country has access to free, high-quality education. We don't value human life enough in this country for our senior citizens to be able to afford the medicine they need and not have to choose between pills or chicken pot pie. So one last thing about this SCOTUS decision. Um, I asked Professor Sudial, uh, who was the professor uh, who we had on the show, about this tension that we are seeing between the courts, uh, two courts, the courts of public opinion, and the Supreme Court. So take a listen to my question to her about how do you reconcile trust in the Supreme Court, given everything that has happened over the past few days? How do you reconcile trust in the Supreme Court, trust in, you know, the process when there's such disparities in who has access to what? 
I mean, that's that's a really good question. As to the differences in access, right, sort of setting aside right this issue for just a second. I mean, I think the nature of having that ty- that kind of um, difference between states is partly just the problem of right again. It sort of goes back to the founding of our nation and sort of the tension that has always existed between the federal government and state governments, right? And that sort of pulling of power and the states wanting to claim power for themselves, right? It's the whole story of our constitution, really, in many ways. And so, um, so, and as to the sort of legitimacy of the court, I, mean, I think that's a really hard issue. You know, I tend to personally, and like, I think the way I teach is such that I, I know there are people who long ago sort of wrote off the Supreme Court as not being a court or being this sort of illegitimate institution. Uh, you know, I I tend to not um, think or promote that view in part because in some ways I think it's, you know, I think it's in a way a, sort of a privilege to have that view because there are plenty of people who are subject to courts, right, not just the Supreme Court, but all kinds of courts every day who don't have the sort of luxury of saying the court is illegitimate. I mean, courts decide issues every day, whether it's criminal cases, housing cases, domestic violence cases, benefits cases that dictate people's lives. And and when that happens, right, that has a very real effect. So I, I mean, as to whether we should view them as illegitimate, I guess that's a different question. But, you know, I, I, I used to want to sort of say, well, you know, People have different views of how the law should operate, how you should interpret these provisions in the Constitution. And just because someone comes to a different conclusion than you doesn't mean right, it's illegitimate. But I think that the way that the court is heading, it makes it harder to defend that outlook because it's harder to sort of understand right how the court can make these sharp turns, right? Or the Supreme Court, after this last few bit of rulings over the next few days, uh, they're going to be on break until October. Now, we know these rulings, there was a lot of public uh, reaction to it. I expect, and as widely anticipated, that we are going to see even more uh, federal protections taken away, including on the following issues. Contraception marriage equality slash LGBT rights, and then the big one, affirmative action. Dang. So. Is, uh, is, are they going to tackle uh, interracial marriage too? Oh, no, they won't do that because there's a Supreme Court justice who is in an interracial marriage. Dang. <laughs> now, it's crazy, but I feel like the end of, at the end of it, though, is just going back to the states. So can you just move? Like, can you move if you don't like what the state is doing? Um, that is my party pooper. There you go. We'll save it. We'll save it. All right. So speaking of, I'm going to say why that's a problem. My party pooper is Josh Hawley, who proposed something pretty doggone similar to that, Keith. Here's what he said about the road decision. And I quote, I would predict that the effect is going to be that more and more red states are going to become more red. Purple states are going to become red. And blue states are going to get a lot bluer. That was Josh Hawley. And then he says, I would look for Republicans as a result of this to extend their strength in the Electoral College. 
and that is very good news. End quote. So, I'm of the, of the opinion that we are already incredibly segregated. You can look right here in Georgia. The Democratic Party overwhelmingly wins their votes in cities. The Republican Party overwhelmingly wins their votes in exurban and rural areas. So Hawley's saying, let's do away with purple states. This erases the ability to vote in a competitive election. So it doesn't matter if you vote. A Democrat's going to always win if you're in a blue state. It doesn't matter if you vote. A Republican's going to always win if you're in a Republican state. Why is that a problem? Because the last time a Republican presidential candidate won the popular vote was in 1988. The Electoral College is their only path to victory for the foreseeable future. I think that kind of rhetoric uh, that Hawley is saying is incredibly dangerous, and it further divides the country. I think we have to find a way, I don't know what the answer is, but to turn down the volume on this kind of stuff. If you have only red states and only blue states, I think that leads to a civil war, to be honest. Just given where we are going as a country, where the smallest things become the largest, and it, you can't trust your neighbor, you, can't, you don't listen to your neighbor. And even if you look at, okay, we're segregated between Democrats are in cities, Republicans are in exurban and, sub and rural areas, it's also segregated financially, right? And so we're segregated by our finances, we're segregated by our political beliefs. What happens to the United States? I mean, listen, it's all connected. Just cut a check, and I think a lot of this with this. I don't think reparation solves this. Nah, I, I, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why it does. Because, you know, the, the political volume and the political back and forth that they do, like, you know, the only reason, it's like a fire. If you don't extinguish a fire, it could come back. You know, only you could prevent forest fires, right? That's what the Civil War was. It was never fully extinguished. It almost was. It never really was. And here it is rising up again. And what was the root cause of that? We don't have necessarily slavery today, but to extinguish that fire, you had to do the final thing, which is like, what did Biden recompense. say? They're going to put you back in James. No, they, they, they never will because we, we're not our ancestors. So it's not going to go down the same way, but you got to cut a check. That way you can get some recompense. And then at least some of that, um, what Marianne Williamson was kind of talking about a little bit. Just a yeah, but I don't, I just don't, I, I think you can have a conversation about reparations and that is an adjacent and separate bucket from who has the right to do what and who tells you when you can do what you want to do. Those are two different things. Nah, I, I'm going to tell you why it's the same though, because you got to do one for those people to come on and take care of the other. It, it'll be like that wave of like, you'll see a wave of, especially black people there that's like, hey, we can invest in this. We can do this, do that. And just because of our nature, our nature will allow us to say, okay, we got this done. What's the next big issue? And in general, that's why we're kind of on both sides of the fence because we don't really care what people do as long as you just let us do what we want to do. And that's, you know, that's, what, boy, that's, that's just the, 
last part of it. You know what I'm saying? Just, just doing what's right. Well, I'm gonna let you have that one. <laughs> All right, on to our party starter. Um, so here we are a month after the Buffalo and Uvalde massacres, and surprise, surprise, a bipartisan group in the Senate actually put forth legislation to address gun access, and it passed 65 to 33. It wasn't even one of those 51s that Kamala had to come break the tie. Uh, now, let's be clear. Democrats didn't get a lot of what they asked for, but they did get some. Well, Democrats don't know how to negotiate. But anyway, um, so they did not get, uh, let's see, they got federal red flag laws. Um, actually, let me redo that. They Democrats did not get the federal red flag laws, but they did get money to give to states to administer their own red flag laws. Uh, the bill does not ban military-style rifles, but it does close the boyfriend loophole, and that basically bans people who are convicted of uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse, from owning a gun. And the other thing it does is it gives money to states uh, for mental health support. So uh, I think it's certainly fair to concede that this bill is less restrictive than the last gun access bill uh, that was passed. But to be honest, the bar for bipartisanship is so doggone low that I guess you just have to be glad that they actually did something in the wake of these massacres. Uh, and the fact that they did something in an election year uh, is also worth noting, although I will say that a number of the Republicans who voted yes on this either are not seeking re-election or they're not up for re-election until 2026, although the only one who's up, I think, uh, in 2024 is Mitt Romney. So, um, I don't know, the Senate actually did something that the majority of Americans want them to do. So, I guess for that, they can certainly be a party starter. So much, so much, so much was in the news. We didn't even talk about the January 6th hearing uh, that was last week. And there's going to be a special January 6th hearing tomorrow on Wednesday. So curious to see what happens there. Uh, that was not actually on the schedule, uh, but they decided to add it based on new evidence and testimony. So... We'll see who snitched, um, but snitched in a good way. <laughs> All right, y'all, that is today's show. As always, thank you. Thank you for rocking with us. I know there was a lot of meaty stuff in there, but again, so much has happened that we had to break it down for you. Uh, thanks for listening. Send it over to a friend. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Leave a review. And always leave a voice note and we'll play it on the next episode. Have a good one.